Are we rolling? Are we rolling? Okay. Hello and welcome to another episode of the TNN show. Yeah, the TNN show. This is another episode of the TNN show. We're going to be reviewing sports uh, from uh, the last weekend. And I'm going to be, unfortunately, focusing on a lot of soccer this weekend. There was a lot and a lot of soccer. I'll touch up on other sports, but soccer is going to be the main uh, topic or the main cause. It's going to eat up a chunk of the show. As you can see today, I am flying solo, and uh, my partners are going to be here with me for the next week. So I'm going to start with a bit of uh, English Premier League. And... Uh, uh, take you guys back to the first match of the weekend, Everton versus West Brom. Everton win the match at five-two, and James Rodriguez again. And I don't know why, but again, just goes on to prove me wrong. And he doesn't. This guy clearly doesn't like me. I don't know why he's performing so well in the Premier League when I said he was going to be this season's flop. So the question for Everton is. Can this Everton squad challenge the traditional big six or top six, as you may call them? I think it's still too early. It's still early doors. Anything can happen, but as I say, when points are there to be played for, you take them. And they've taken six points out of a total of six at the moment. Still early doors, I know, but... What more can they do to try and prove that they're trying to close the gap, they're trying to challenge the top six? When you look at this team's midfield, Alan, who's uh, the, the the new incoming signing, has played so well for, for this team. Dukure, not so much uh, versus West Brom. He was uh, challenged a lot by Jack Livermore in the physical battle. And it was it was a 50-50, but he had better teammates, so eventually won out versus Livermore because it was a small team versus another big team. But let me go on and say this. Everton has been as impressive as any other team so far in the opening two games. And if I'm an Everton fan, I don't know why I'm not hoping that they can be consistent for the rest consistent for the rest of the season and be able to challenge. For, for those for one of those top six places and get back uh, get Everton back into Europe, I feel that it, it is a possibility, especially if Hamas keeps doing what he's doing and keeps proving me wrong week in week out. He's showing that he is a star, so a bonafide star for a club like Everton is going to elevate them to another level if he continues with his performances. Personally, I'd be expecting with the way he's been playing. If he gives Everton at least 10 goals and maybe 15 plus assists in the Premier League, not uh, other competitions, just the Premier League, he can help them further close down the gap between them and the top six. As I've already said, they've got a top manager in uh, Carlo Angelotti. And uh, I think it's possible, improbable, but very, very possible. So uh, when it comes to the topic of Everton challenging the top six, I will say it's quite possible. It's it's just fingers crossed if I'm an Everton fan that maybe it, it can happen. So after, uh, moving on from Everton, now going to the other match, or 
the other big match of the weekend. Manchester United finally played their first game of the Premier League season versus Crystal Palace. And oh boy, oh boy, could it go any worse? I suppose so if, if they, they would have lost maybe 5-1, five, five it could have been worse. They lose the match to Crystal Palace 3-1. And I have to say that uh, I wasn't particularly impressed by the team selection by Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. I thought it was a bit too, too safe for me. I'd, uh, I personally don't understand why he's protecting Donny van der Beek from just starting him from the onset uh, for this match, just making sure that it's just the match. It brings him on at half time. Of course, it does make a difference, but I think it's 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 too late for Manchester United. Manchester United did not play well at all. Victor Lindelof with a questionable performance, and I quite rate him very very highly. Amongst the the bunch that United have, I think I could call him the, the best of a bad bunch of centre backs at Manchester United at the moment. Uh, so for Victor Lindelof, I was quite shocked that he put on that that sort of performance. But as I've said, it's a it's a bad bunch. So if you're the best in a bad bunch, you you can make a mistake or two. He makes a mistake in the opening goal when uh, he lets. I felt like he just let Jeffrey Schlapp just run by him. He didn't even try to impose himself on Jeffrey Schlapp, and he gives the cross. Uh, to understand and finish one nil, and from then on, United were. I could, if I could call them tepid, they were tepid. It was just one of those performances where you can see that they're trying. It's not a matter of uh, lacking effort. The effort was there, but the quality to break down Crystal Palace was non-existent from Manchester United. And that's what I can say when it uh, comes to a question of Manchester United versus Crystal Palace. I didn't see any quality in attack. Mason Greenwood as well was on the bench. Maybe it's because of non-performance related uh, stories that, that have been around him the past few weeks. Maybe he gets to start on the bench, then he comes on. Didn't really do too much as well. So this is just a, a bad start from Manchester United. Uh, so I had a friend who, was, who gave me this question when it comes to Manchester United. Because of uh, the way they considered these goals, he asked me if United should strengthen the defense or keep pushing on for Jadon Sancho. If they could, if they should or could or were told to choose one between strengthening the defense or signing Jadon Sancho, I'd personally say Manchester United should strengthen their defense at the moment. Attacking-wise, of course, it's not the best. They're not the best attack, but they can be quite dangerous with the weapons they've got at the moment. They need to add weapons at the back. Lindelof, as I said, is, is the best of a bad bunch, but I, I, I would presume that if Manchester United could get uh, a top-class centre-back in, it would be the one to drop to the bench because I don't think uh, Ole would, would bench the, the club captain, uh, Harry Maguire, at the moment. So Maguire would start for United. 
and maybe so maybe United need to to look for a partner for Harry Maguire when it comes to to the centre back situation for Manchester United. But uh, my first priority for Manchester United would be a left back. They don't really have a, a left back who's of a, a quality enough to start for the Premier League. They don't have anyone in that position who is good enough to start for a team that's challenging for, for top four or the Premier League. They don't have that type of left back at Manchester United. So that's where they should look. Because look sure, oh my God. Oh my God. That's just a disaster waiting to happen. And it's not that I always fault him for everything that happens. Of course, he's had fitness problems, injury issues. I do understand all of that. But, you know, just critiquing him or just analyzing from a talent and an ability standpoint at this moment, not 12 years ago, not four years ago, not three years ago, before the injury and everything, because I know people always come and defend Luke Shaw and say, yeah, you got, you got a broken leg, which is unfortunate. It happened, and it happened when he was really giving some strong performances for Manchester United, but that's, that's four years ago now. Has he recovered from that injury? Perhaps not, because his performances have been nowhere near the performances he was giving before the injury. Is he ever going to get back to, to what he was going to be before the injury? I doubt it. I highly doubt it. So I would be saying to United right now, if they were asking for my advice, which of which they really, really need a lot of my advice at the moment, buy a left back. They need a left back. They don't have a left back. Before you buy Jaden Sancho, bring in a proper left back. Then United perhaps could go, someone could target maybe even trying to close the gap between the top two in, in, this, in this Premier League. Without that left back, I'm sorry to disappoint a lot of Manchester United fans. Don't be too hopeful. You really need a left back. You don't have a quality left back. Look sure, perhaps a mid-table club in this league, that's where you would fit. Not at Manchester United. So, uh, looking at another one, as soon as uh, Manchester United concede a goal, this is what happens when you're watching the Premier League. I think it's been happening for quite some time. When Dean Anderson was on loan, the, the commentators would rightly or wrongly just start bringing up his name whenever United considered a goal, considered a goal last season. This season, they considered a goal, which wasn't entirely David De Gea's fault. The cameras are already on Dean Anderson. It's a, it's a topic where it's, it's very, very subjective at the moment. And uh, when it's, it's, it's experience related, of course, David De Gea is number one, but it's Dean Henderson versus uh, David De Gea, who should be starting for Manchester United at the moment. Let's not use a nostalgic uh, bias or oh, De Gea made that excellent save versus Everton in 2014. Or oh, let's not use recency bias. De Gea has made a lot of mistakes. He's, he's a shit keeper. He's not that. I, I, I still think uh, David De Gea is a better goalkeeper 
than Dean Anderson. Ability-wise, right now, no doubt about it. But things like this, football is sometimes not a fact-driven business, but a, a perception-driven business. Dean Anderson is looking strong at the moment. And the more David De Gea concedes goals for Manchester United, the more the pressure is going to come from the fans for United to try out this young goalkeeper. Is he ready? Perhaps that's a question for him to answer, a question for Dean Anderson to answer. And maybe the pressure now on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer would be give the kid a chance to answer or show the world if he's ready or not to play for a club of the stature of Man United, perhaps the biggest football club in the world. So right now, I wouldn't blame too much Ole for picking David De Gea. It's, it's only natural. It's only natural. What I would like to see is maybe he does uh, a Luis Enrique balance. I don't know if you guys understand what a Luis Enrique balance is. I'll try to explain it. When Luis Enrique was at Barcelona, he had two number one goalkeepers, not a number one and a number two. He had two goalkeepers who deserved to be starting goalkeepers for their teams. Claudio Bravo and Marc-Andre Testegen. So what he would do, what they ended up doing was Claudio Bravo would start all the Spanish La Liga games. Then every other game, be it cup game, be it Champions League game, be it Super Cup game, be it Club World Cup game, all those games were for Marc-Andre Testegen. That was the decision. Of course, maybe Testegen wasn't too happy because then you don't get to be playing week in, week out. But come the end of the season, as a goalkeeper, you've got 20 plus appearances, which is good. So I, I think that's what I would like to see Ole Gunnar Solskjaer employ at Manchester United. Give Dean Anderson the Champions League games, give Dean Anderson the Carabao Cup games, give him the FA Cup games, any other game that is not a league game, so that at least he gets a chance to show in front of the whole world if he's good enough to be starting for this Manchester United team. And I think a situation like that would also help David De Gea as well. Because the more he plays, the more he concedes and the more pressure that comes on him, as long as Dean Anderson is not playing, would not help David De Gea. It will not improve his performances. That's it. That's what I've said. So I think there needs to be a balancing act right now. That's what I see. And uh, it would be unreasonable for Manchester United to loan out this kid of who they've made, they've made him sign a six-year contract, I understand. It, it, would be, it would be senseless. Yes, for game time, it's okay, but it's a matter of testing yourself at the highest level. That's what Dean Anderson wants. I think he wants to stay at Manchester United. They should make sure that he stays and he challenges and gets a fair shot at David De Gea. We don't want David De Gea starting for Manchester United just because is a brand name. Give the kid a chance to show his talent. That should be the solution to this whole argument. As I've said right now, right at this very moment, after one game, 
for Manchester United in the Premier League. David De Gea is my number one for Manchester United. But thing, these things in, in football are never lock and key. It's never certain. Maybe in week 27, I would be saying a different thing. But right at this very moment, if I'm to pick a starting goalkeeper for Manchester United, David De Gea is my number one. We should move on from this topic. I think I've, I've clarified my, my thoughts on this topic. So now we should speak Arsenal. Arsenal struggled very much with us West Ham. I watched uh, the full 90 minutes of that game. They didn't give as convincing a performance as they did uh, versus Fulham last week. A lot of the key, key guys were were trying but when producing the quality that we've come to maybe hope not expect because Arsenal have never really been that consistent but they didn't produce the quality that would hope of an Arsenal team but either way Obama Yang assists Lacazette for the first goal wonderful but they consider a soft goal where I think Kolasinac and Gabriel don't seem to be doing much defensively and their defenders I might add but they weren't doing much defensively I don't know what their job is Rob Holding as well he had a terrible terrible game versus Mikko Antonio especially in the in the aspect of of a physical battle between a striker and a center back he was bullied all game long if I'm a West Ham fan I would be cursing my luck after this game very very unlucky for West Ham United very very unlucky they might have done with a point. But as the game was about to come to a conclusion, I think it was Bukayo Saka with the pass of the match for me. The pass, that outside foot pass he did to, to give Ceballos the chance to square for Edin Ketia was brilliant. It was massive. I tell you now, Bukayo Saka, that kid is destined for greatness when it comes to football. Destined for greatness. If Arsenal don't don't put their, their stuff in order, their organization in order. Bukayo Saka, that kid is going to go to a bigger club and win titles. That's what his talent deserves. But Arsenal, again, three points, six points, six out of six. You couldn't ask for, for much better. Well, I guess we'll find out who, how, how, how good they really are next week when they face a better team. But that's it for Arsenal. I, I, I can't really say much when it comes to Arsenal because from a tactical standpoint, everything seems to be sorted out. But I think it's just the quality of players that are, are holding them back in, in certain aspects of their game and what they ought to be, to be achieving. But there was good news before the Western match for Arsenal fans. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang finally finally after after a long wait extended his contract with Arsenal Football Club he's going to be the, the highest paid he's gonna get a, a higher wage than Mesut Ozil was on the bench just wasting money what do I think about uh, Aubameyang extending his contract it, it could go bo uh, both ways I, 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 I I'd like to say I think the player and the club, they, they both needed each other. The interest for Aubameyang was, was, was close to zero at the moment. He, he didn't really have 
a lot of suitors. And uh, how, how should I put this? It's, it's not because of a lack of ability. This guy, Aubameyang, is the best striker in the English Premier League. Better than anyone else. The best striker in the English Premier League. So it's not a, a lack of ability. But maybe his age and the fact that with his age uh, at 31, he was going to command a transfer fee. And if there was going to be any transfer fee, Arsenal were not going to let him go for 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 a, a small sum of money. I think it really put off a, a lot of prospective buyers for Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. So at the end, this was the most sensible thing I think Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang was going to do. And for Arsenal to lose him was going to set, set the wrong precedent because it would just once again become Arsenal, that club, you just let go of your world-class players, then you expect to challenge. How do you challenge if you don't have Pierre-Marek Aubameyang, if you just let him go just because his contract is about to come to a conclusion? So this, this is a good deal, making sure they give him better than Ozil, which is also a good deal. I think it would be good for the squad, good for the morale of the squad, rather than having your most paid guy is one of the most useless guys at the club. That wouldn't work. That would be messed also. At least now it's Pierre-Marek Aubameyang who's got a, stat, a, a statistic which showed that without Pierre-Marek Aubameyang's goals this, the, this uh, past season, Arsenal would have finished the Premier League 16th. This is just showing how important this guy is for Arsenal Football Club. It doesn't matter if he's 31, it doesn't matter if he's 51. If this guy is this impactful for your club, you don't let him go, you sign him to a deal. That's what Arsenal have done. And this also shows everyone on the outside who might think that Arsenal are joking around that maybe they do mean business. Maybe they've sorted out their stuff in, in the background, behind the scenes and above, above the playing squad, above the manager. It just shows that maybe they're now moving in the, in the right direction. This Pierre-Marie Aubameyang extension could actually attract some other players who might want to join Arsenal now because now they know there, there seems to be some stability at Arsenal. So this, this is a great deal for everyone, great deal for Arsenal. I'm super impressed by Arsenal. I thought they were going to mess it up once again when it came to Aubameyang's future and just do something out of the ordinary and mess up in ways we wouldn't imagine. But clearly they've, they've, they've impressed me, they've shocked me by doing the right thing for the first time in a very long time. This Arsenal Football Club, which has been a mess for a long time. Maybe Josh Kroenke after all, has got a plan with this club. He's got a plan to bring back Arsenal to the fans, to bring back Arsenal to the glory days. However, we are not done with Arsenal. We have to talk the other guy who's got a big paycheck at Arsenal. Mesut Ozil. I've had uh, topics in the last week where people have been criticizing Arsenal for not letting him go and yada, 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 and ETC. At the moment, I don't really blame Arsenal for not letting him go. Because I can honestly say from my sources, I've heard they've tried. They've really tried to let him go. They can't. 
they've tried to loan him out. They've tried to sell him. Mesut Ozil doesn't want to leave. And if I was Mesut Ozil's agent, maybe I'd get into his head, maybe try persuade him to move to a club where he might get playing time. But at the moment, it doesn't seem to be one of the priorities when it comes to Mesut Ozil. I don't think it's about playing time anymore. I think it clearly feels hard done by, by, by Arsenal Football Club. Maybe uh, the last two seasons, there were opportunities or chances he might have felt he, he could have started, he could have impacted a game. He wasn't given that opportunity. He was left on the bench. It frustrated him. It frustrated him. It hurt him. So what I can say about Mesut Ozil, just because he's, he's been hurt like that, he's been frustrated for quite a long time, where managers are coming in, going out, all of those guys are not giving him a look. So maybe he feels like he's being punished in a, in a certain way. He's not getting a, a, a fair shot, a fair chance to play. So now maybe he's just gone to himself and told himself, you know what, Mesut, punish them too. This is the final year of his contract, getting 350 per week, 350k per week. If he stays at Arsenal, getting 350k per week until the end of the season, not playing, he knows that he's going to punch some walls in Arsenal's finance. I think that's what he's trying to do now. That's Ozo's future. I don't think he's going to go to any team. There have been talks of teams in Saudi Arabia, some teams in China who want him. But he doesn't want to go because those teams are quite capable of paying him his wages. But he clearly wants to burn some holes in Arsenal's finance. Or teams that are, of, uh, are in the top five leagues or maybe Turkey, maybe Portugal, Teams like that, I've heard that there's been some interest in Mesut Ozil. But those teams want him with less wages. So Arsenal can't let him go to those teams as well because they don't want to be paying a player who's not playing for them. So I think this is going to be a loveless marriage until the end of the contract next season and Mesut Ozil finally leaves Arsenal Football Club. That's Mesut Ozil's future for from, from my perspective. Thank you for asking this question. And I think you answered. The next question is, how impressive was Tottenham when they played versus Southampton? I mean, let me say this. I haven't said this in a long while. I think this was one of the best counter-attacking performances in the Premier League for a very, very, very long time. Their counter-attacking was precise. They attacked with some conviction when they went for, 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 for those uh, counter-attacks. The difference from the previous week, you could see what a difference that seven days in life can do to anyone in this, in, in this world we live in. Seven days, a complete transformation from a toothless dog to children I'm now looking like they can rip anyone apart. Of course, Southampton didn't help themselves. They, they, they played a bit too high in, in certain scenarios when they were, were not supposed to play too high. 
But that's it at the end of the day. You can only play what's in front of you. Tottenham just killed Southampton. Young Min Son was on fire. Harry Kane was just supplying him with those balls in behind and used his pace, used the quality of his finishing. Then they thrashed this Southampton team. I was here last week saying that maybe this is the beginning of the end for Jose Mourinho. And clearly you watched the show. You watched the show because you could see in the way Tottenham were playing, Jose Mourinho had a, had a point to prove, to prove to one of the people who were, were doubting him. That was me. And I will say this again. If that front three plays as good as they did versus Southampton, this Tottenham team is going to make the top four. And I had picked them for my top four before this season started. So I think either way I win at the end because I said they're going to be in the top four. If they make the top four, I win. That's what I can say about Tottenham. That was a brilliant performance. But however, however, this performance is going to mask a lot of weakness in this Tottenham team. I don't know what's going on when it comes to selection at centre-back for Tottenham. I've heard that Mourinho has said that the, the, the squad is too large. Maybe it's too large in terms of quantity. But they're really lacking quality at, at the centre-back position. Davidson, Sanchez and Toby Aldevero are good enough for Tottenham. Are good enough for Tottenham's aspirations. But that's all they have. They don't have anyone else in that position. They need to strengthen at centre-back. They really need to strengthen there. Of course, they've strengthened uh, uh, at left back with the signing of Sergio Reguilón, the guy I wanted from my club, Chelsea. But Chelsea were not smart enough to notice that Reguilón is the better left back compared to the, the other English guy who just runs about. I will not say his name until he's proved to me that he deserves to play for Chelsea. So, at the end of the day, Good performance for Tottenham Hotspur, masking some lack of quality at centre-back with Eric Dyer there. I don't know why he's starting for Tottenham. He doesn't deserve to play. Sometimes I question if he's actually able or deserves to play Premier League football. Maybe he's a championship player. Skybet Championship seems to be his level. He could be maybe quite comfortable there, but not in the Premier League. Makes too many mistakes for me. If there's something that's going to cost Tottenham this season, I think that position really needs an upgrade in quality. When you compare Eric Dyer to a lot of the other centre-backs who play in this league, he seems to be the weakest of them all. So, when Manchester United was playing the game versus Crystal Palace, Peter Drury took a moment from the game and announced that Gareth Bale was back in the Premier League. Back in the Premier League and as Gareth Bale says it, he was back home. Spurs is his home. Kumba, 
Exactly. Kumbakwa kwavo. So Gareth Bale is back at Tottenham Hotspurs where he most feels comfortable. I think this is a win-win situation when it comes to the player Real Madrid and Tottenham Hotspur. I know there's been a lot of noise and nonsense around Gareth Bale where people have called him useless and all that other nonsense and rubbish. He's not useless. This is a player who's going to upgrade this Premier League. He's going to make this league better. Of course, he's not, he's not at the peak of his powers anymore. He's not the Gareth Bale of 2012-2013 where he was just killing this league by himself. But this is a signing, I think, that just further solidifies Tottenham, further brings them into the conversation of making the top four this year, makes them the favorites for making the top four this year. This is a great signing by Jose Mourinho. And uh, I've, had, uh, I've read a report where Bell says Mourinho has a key factor, which he should be is a big manager and big managers attract big players. I think this is a win-win situation. I think Bale is going to play for Tottenham. He's going to score 10 plus goals in the league this year. And he's going to be very, 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 very useful. And I'm happy. If I was a Tottenham fan, this is, this is the move I would just be ha- so happy about. What more would you want? Gareth Bale coming home after seven years in the wilderness where he wasn't particularly appreciated enough in my opinion, or where he wasn't welcomed enough. I don't think they, they, they've done too much, done enough to welcome him at Real Madrid. But the way he gave Madrid what they needed, he gave them what they asked of him. He gave, he gave all that. And he's back in the, in the Premier League with Tottenham. This is a great move, not just for Tottenham, as I've said. It's, the, it's, it's a great move for, for the whole league maybe greatest move for the league in, in a while, greatest transfer for the league in a while, bringing one of their own boys back and he should be here to tear it up, score 10 goals, 10 plus goals, which are going to be very, very crucial for Tottenham in the Premier League, maybe score a host of goals for them in the Europa League as well as they aim to win that. And with Mourinho, I think Tottenham should be aiming to win the, the Europa League. So, but with Bale coming in, it created a question of the guy who was subbed at halftime the previous week. That's Dele Ali. Dele Ali's future has been put into question. There's been rumors that Tottenham have offered him out to Paris Saint-Germain. They've offered him out to any other team that, that may want to take him. I've had Inter Milan interested. He should leave. That's what I can say. Dele Ali should leave Tottenham. He has become stale, in my opinion. He is not giving Tottenham what he used to give them. He's a player who has become worse and worse over time instead of progressing. When you buy a young player, you buy them with, with uh, the hope. Is a, yeah. I can say hope, with the hope that this player is going to improve little by little by little by little. But when you look at Dele Alli's graph of growth, 
it's been the opposite. He's been regressing year on, year on, year on. And when you're substituted in the first game of the season at halftime, and the coach points out it's for tactical reasons, that's worse than anything else. I think it shows that Dele Ali maybe does not understand the game from Mourinho's point of view. After that, Tottenham play a game for Europa League qualification in the playoffs. He doesn't travel with the team to Bulgaria. Then the team plays Southampton. He doesn't make the midday squad for Southampton when they win 5-2. This is a further indictment on Dele Ali's performances and how the manager feels about Dele Ali. I think this is the end for Dele Ali at Tottenham. He's got no future at this club. He's not good enough for Tottenham anymore. So I think Dele Ali should leave Tottenham. Putting his future into question is the right thing to do at this very moment because he's not giving Tottenham a lot. So they should be looking to get rid of, of, of him in the coming days before the window shuts. And I think he should, should leave. After this Dele Ali topic, I'll discuss a topic that's very, very dear to my heart. Chelsea Football Club. My Chelsea Football Club. Versus Liverpool. We lost to Liverpool. Courtesy to a Sadio Mane brace. Of course, yes, it could have been 2-1. It could have been a little better. We could have lost 2-1 if Jorginho had converted the penalty. Sometimes I lose words when it comes to Chelsea. It gets me really emotional. Let's take a look at the first, the first goal. No, 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 not the first goal. The first goal could have come, yeah. Let's take a look at Andres Christensen's red card. I've heard a lot of people say, if you were in a situation, what were you going to do? Yes, yes, yes. Maybe pulling down Sadio Mane was, was maybe a sensible thing to do in the moment, in the heat of the moment, when we look at uh, what happened and the situation that, that was going on at that particular moment. But I'd like to take people at least four seconds before we are in this situation. The replay shows Andres Christensen, Kurt Zuma, and maybe Kepa, the, the three of them are directly looking at where the boy is, the boy is with Jordan Anderson. They can see that he's going to put it over the top, he's going to hit a long ball. But that's where I put the defending into question. They ball watched, they were not proactive. They did not then think about controlling the space behind them. They only started to react after that ball had left Jordan Anderson's foot. This is uh, the space, space behind Ketsuma and Andres Christensen. They didn't control the space behind them. They started to react after the ball was in the air and that was already too late, which shows that it was bad defending, which shows that yes, Andres Christensen ended up in a situation, but he could have avoided that situation was he pro if he was proactive. That's the difference when it comes to these games at the top of the table. 
these games at the top of the league, these games when these big and these top teams are playing versus you, it comes down to the small details. And I say that if they, if, if had Zuma and Christensen control their space a little bit better, that ball was not going to hurt them as much as it did. And Chelsea going to halftime with 11 men on the pitch, who knows what could have happened. Liverpool is still the better team. They still could have won the game. But going in at halftime, 10 men down, I knew it was game over. I knew it was game over. But this was further put into chaos by our very own number one goalkeeper, Kepa. And I I know a lot of people give him a tough time, call him rubbish, call him poor, call him crap when it comes to goalkeeping. But when I look at Kepa's case, it's not, I don't think it's an aspect of him lacking in talent. You look at that kid, that kid is very, very talented. He's not the worst goalkeeper in that league. He performs like the worst goalkeeper in the league, but he is not the worst goalkeeper in that league. I can say that again. He's not the worst. But he's playing a position where that word that starts with the letter C is very, very important. Confidence. Confidence. I totally think that his confidence has been short. He's not confident anymore. With everything, even the basic stuff he should be doing, basic stuff he should just know how to do. I think he's now at a point where he's just going to second guess himself with any situation that may come. That's the problem now with Kepa. He's going to keep questioning himself time and time again, which is going to lead to more and more and more mistakes. So for the good of Chelsea Football Club and the good for Kepa, the good for Kepa, I think he should leave. I know maybe Chelsea are going to make it hard for him to leave because for any club that's going to sign him at the moment, they're not going to sign him for anything close to what Chelsea paid for him. But Chelsea just have to be... How can I put it? They don't have to be cruel about this anymore because the, situ the situation is already cruel as enough as it is for Kepa. It's as, it's as cruel as it can be right at this very moment. So they should just let him go. Let him leave. You're in talks for, for, for another goalkeeper, for a new number one goalkeeper. You should let Kepa leave because he's not a bad goalkeeper, but in this situation, I doubt it's ever going to get better for Kepa. It's never going to get better. It's going to get worse and worse and worse because he's lost his confidence. His confidence is short. And no one around seems to be able to, to help him. 
and it's also not easy to to start being confident again when you know that the the guy who picks the team doesn't believe in you. Frank Lampard does not believe in Kepa. It's clear for all to see. He may lie in press conferences. He can say Kepa is our number one in in this interview. Kepa, we love you in that other interview. But the truth is out there for all to see. Frank Lampard does not want Kepa. So I think this will be more, uh, the responsibility would be more on Chelsea and Marina to try and help Kepa leave this football club because the situation has become toxic and it's toxic for the kid. You might harm his football career right here, right now, when he still has a chance to maybe try and go save himself somewhere. But oh my gosh, at Chelsea, it's never going to happen. He's a mistake waiting to happen. A disaster certainly going to happen when he's playing for Chelsea Football Club. So another question that was asked uh, in relation to a Chelsea player's performance this past weekend was Kai Havertz. The question is, where does Kai Havertz fit at Chelsea? What's his position? How can he be used so that he can be effective or be as close to being effective as he was in Germany? This is what I'm going to say. Kai Havertz, as they say, you know, the press, those who call natural positions, naturally they say he's an attacking midfielder. And in the first two games he's played for Chelsea, he's played nowhere near that position. So maybe this might have impacted one or two of his performances. Fair enough, but I'm not going to come there for this very moment. I'm going to talk about what I see when I look at him play. Yes, one or two good touches here and there. He shows that maybe there might be some talent in there. But when I look at his build, oh my, oh my, is this guy built for Premier League football? That's, th that should be the first question that's asked when we talk about Kai Hafez. He's so lanky, looks a bit small in terms of his frame is a little bit, yeah, as I said, lanky, lanky is the best way to describe Kai Havertz. He certainly doesn't look like he's strong enough for me to, to, to be a success in this league at this very moment. I think that's where he should address his, uh, his body first. He needs to bulk up a little bit to be able to succeed in this league because the, it seems like he's getting pushed off the ball a little bit too easily by everyone else at the moment. And when it comes to tactics, I will not, I will not say Lampard has got it wrong with Kayafes for the first two games. No, 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 no. I think that's been okay. He's been put in positions where he's had a bit of the ball and he should have succeeded more. He should have showed more. I'm not going to blame Lampard on this one when it comes to Kai Havertz because Chelsea are normally going to use a 4-3-3 a or 4-2-3-1 as we've seen from Lampard selections in the past. So when he plays a 4-3-3, I think putting him in on, on, on the right, is, it's, not a, it's not a bad uh, decision by Lampard. 
Kai Havertz is, is to show more. I see now putting uh, people are already putting uh, Kai Havertz on fraud watch, which is uh, justified by his first two performances. But we cannot give him excuses of positional play at this very moment. We can't say that he's been played in, in wrong positions. He's been put in positions where his talent can succeed. So we can't blame the manager for his first two performances at the moment. All Kai Havis has to do is to improve. He has to improve. He has to find solutions within himself to improve. What the manager has given him so far is good. It's not bad. It's good. They should just do a lot better. So Kai Havitz is on fraud watch now. It's up to him to prove to doubters if he's not a flop. I'm not personally calling him a flop. I, I still see a bit of talent in the kid. Maybe he's going to improve. I hope uh, it goes that way for the good of my club and the good of my heart. So now looking at uh, Chelsea's opponents this weekend, Liverpool. Liverpool seemed as if they were going for a very heading for a, a very, very disappointing conclusion to their transfer window. Then, boom, in two days, they signed Thiago and Diogo Jota. Thiago is going to be a magnificent signing for this team in terms of what they're lacking in the squad. They've been lacking a creative midfielder for quite a while now. They, they don't have any other creative midfielder. Is the only creative midfielder at the club. Of course, they'd spent a lot of money on uh, Naby Keita and Oxley Chamberlain as well. Maybe, you know, looking for, for a creative midfielder. They thought that they could find a creative midfielder in them. But that hasn't happened. The two guys haven't been a success. They haven't brought solutions to the questions that Liverpool have been asked in, in, in a lot of games. So this is, this is a brilliant signing for Liverpool, I'll say this again. This will further elevate them and give them a higher chance to, to retain their Premier League title. Like I've said, I, I've, I've made them favourites to retain it. I don't think City can, can challenge them this year. City are going to fall, fall, fall away, maybe by March, April there, and Liverpool are going to win the league. That's what I've called in my predictions. And this transfer makes them even stronger. Thiago is going to be a success in this league. And when it comes to Diogo Jota, a lot of people have said maybe it's just going to be a bench option. But that's why I want to challenge a lot of people in their critical thinking. Let's look at that guy, that guy who everyone in Liverpool praises. There's a, he's got a lot of sentimental capital when it comes to Liverpool fans and even fans generally around the world. A lot of people like Roberto Firmino. They like what he does. Is the force nine makes him special. Yes, he supplies for Salah and money and what what. But looking at this past year, I have to say I was very very disappointed by Roberto Firmino. It's one thing to play force nine, and it's another thing, not to offer anything going forwards for 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 your team. And Roberto Firmino the last season just seemed as if. He was a passenger when it, when it came to attacking play for Liverpool Football Club. He was a passenger when it came to pro providing and scoring for Liverpool. He didn't do much. They carried him a lot. Mane and Salah carried him. 
So I think Jürgen Klopp has seen past sentimentality now and he goes and he buys Diogo Jota. And I feel like Diogo Jota maybe can challenge Firmino. Maybe not start per se for Liverpool, but Firmino knows someone has come in. Maybe he's going to start, you know, performing a little bit better because there was no depth in that team when it came to that position. Of course, people can talk about Divo Corrigi, but if I was Roberto Firmino, I would never be worried about Divo Corrigi taking my place in the team. That It was quite obvious that Divo Corrigi was going to be a substitute for Liverpool at best. Of course, he scored some heavy goals, some big goals for Liverpool, but he was never able to challenge Roberto Firmino for that central striker role. So maybe Diogo Jota is going to light a fire up uh, Roberto Firmino's ears, and maybe Roberto Firmino will start performing like the Firmino of maybe two years ago, three years ago, where he doesn't have to score the most goals, but at least do something when it comes to the team attacking. So, yeah, that's it when it comes to these two signings. Brilliant business by Liverpool. I will praise them. Brilliant business. Two signings in next to no time when it looked like that Liverpool were not going to do any business in the transfer window. So now... I'll give uh, the game of the weekend preview. It's going to be Liverpool versus Arsenal Football Club. Liverpool versus Arsenal Football Club. This is going to to be a big match. And I think maybe Liverpool, a lot of Liverpool fans are going to be a bit arrogant and expect to win. But I'm not going that way. I, I actually think that Arsenal can win this match. Arsenal have got a great chance to just silence Liverpool at the start and go 9 out of 9. Set a statement. Set a bar for everyone. I feel like uh, Salah and Mane can be kept quiet for, for, for a long time. As we saw in the, in the preview, that was the community shield. Of course, it's a glorified friendly match. And whatever, it's not serious. A lot of people don't really take it seriously. But I'll say this, Arsenal did show that maybe they do have Liverpool's number. If I'm asked to make a prediction for this match, I'm going to be very, very brave with my prediction and say Arsenal are going to win this match versus Liverpool. A lot of people are going to be stunned by this Arsenal team. But this Arsenal team is going to leave no prisoners when they play any of the top six this year. They're going to be very, very tough. They're going to be very, very energetic. They're going to be something that you haven't seen in a long time from Arsenal. That's all I can say about this uh, preview between Liverpool and Arsenal next week. So there was uh, another question as well. As we noticed, when Liverpool played Chelsea, Fabinho played in the centre-back position. So the question was, do Liverpool need to get into the market and buy a centre-back? Of course, Darian Lovren left before the start of the season. And Joe Matip is... Maybe you can't really trust him when it comes to his fitness issues in the past couple of past couple of seasons he's been getting he's been getting injured so whoa to Liverpool need a centre back because Fabinho had to deputise or be an understudy 
that's why a lot of people like to call it being an understudy. I will say no. Fabinho is quite capable of playing that position. So they don't need a center back. They are okay. Fabinho can be a deputy for when any of the guys who play in that position are injured. He can come in and just slot in and give a brilliant performance. He gave a man of the match performance versus Chelsea. Okay, Chelsea didn't ask a lot of them, but that was a good performance. So I will say this now, Liverpool do not need to buy a centre-back. So let's move on from that question. It's, it's pretty straightforward. I don't think Liverpool need a centre-back. Joe Gomez, Van Dijk and Fabinho can be enough for them to retain this title. I think there are more pressing matters when it comes to football than Liverpool signing another centre-back. Uh, the other question that I was asked was, uh, how do City regain the title? And let me be very, very dramatic with my response here. The only way City regain this Premier League title is if Liverpool implode. Liverpool have six injuries, six major injuries. Maybe that's when maybe, then maybe City can regain this title. I think this is going to be Pep Guardiola's last season because he's not going to win. And maybe there's going to be more and more pressure than he's going to run away this time. Brilliant managers, Pep Guardiola, but he's not going to be able to stop Liverpool this year. Well, maybe from uh, looking at the transfer market, you can say City will need to strengthen the defence. Uh, left back, is, is a question of uh, major, major concern for Manchester City. They don't really have uh, a left back. The guy who plays at uh, left back, uh, Sinchenko, is not naturally left back. He's a central midfielder. But he does, he does all he can. He's the best they've got. But they don't have much else. So maybe if they buy a left back, they may strengthen that area. That may be a positive for, for, for them to challenge for, 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 for this league title. Maybe they can challenge it. Maybe they can regain it, I mean. I'm sorry. Maybe they can regain it. That's why I have to say about Manchester City regaining the, 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 the Premier League title, which I think is not possible. It's not possible because it's not going to happen. Liverpool are going to win this Premier League. I'll say this again. Now let's move on to... Syria. Syria came back this weekend. Of course, we're not going to look at all the matches because not all the teams are that good. So we're going to look at Juventus versus Sampdoria. Juventus versus Sampdoria. 3-0 the final result. Juventus didn't really play well, but you know, as they say in, in Turin, as long as you get the three points at Juve, you're forgiven. All is forgiven. The scorers were Dejan Kulusevski was making his debut for Juventus, uh, the kid they sent from Atalanta. Then Bonucci and Ronaldo scored in the last 10 minutes to make it 3-0. As I've said, they didn't really play well. 
but it's it's the it's only the points that matter. It was a good start for the Andre Pelo experiment. I call it an experiment because I still cannot believe it that he's a he's a head coach. I don't know how good he is, but he does show that he's he's been copying or learning from some of the best. Uh, if you watch the game from a tactical aspect, he's trying to employ some of the ethos that were imprinted on him by Antonio Conte. Antonio Conte, who is a manager, is always praised in his in, in the past. The manager is always credited to giving his career uh, another lease of life when he was looked at as being very, very old, but he's a coach who was able to prolong him. So he was using the 352. I guess that's what Juventus are going to be using this year. So it's going to be intriguing when they meet Inter Milan to just find out what's going to happen. I still think Juventus have the better quality players. I still think they they might, yeah, they might beat Inter. But I'll stay. Uh, I'll still say this now. I think Inter Milan are the favourites for the Scudetto. If they don't win it now, they will not win it for the next ten years. So Juve will be moving on to face a tougher test than Sampdoria next week. It's going to be Juventus versus Roma. I don't want to be too boring about this prediction, but I will say that Juventus are going to win. And they're going to win because you never know, by the time they play Roma, Edin Dzeko might be striking, maybe Ronaldo strike partner at Juventus. If it's like that, then... Roma don't stand a chance because Roma at the moment, they look like they're just a club in transition. They're still trying to find their feet. What could a club like Roma be aiming for this year in the in this Serie A? I think it's just to maintain where they were last season. That's a Europa League sport. I don't think they are ready yet to challenge for the Champions League positions in the Serie A. And Juventus are a team that's going to be trying to defend their title. So the clear difference in ambition will, will just make uh, Juventus the favorites. And uh, I don't want to bet on the underdog too much. I'll just say Juventus is going to win this match versus AS Roma. So now there was also news in the past couple of weeks where it's Luis Suarez was said to be in talks with Juventus. But uh, Fabio Paratachi, the idiot director of Juventus. I call him idiot director because I think he's, he's partly responsible uh, for the mess that Juventus are in at the moment. Paratachi was saying that Suarez is no longer going to be coming because maybe the citizenship and citizenship stuff is not, it's, it's taking too long because uh, they were saying that Suarez doesn't have a European citizenship so they need him to get an Italian passport so that they can be able to register him at Juventus. But the citizenship only comes out when the Italian transfer window is closed. So they won't be able to register him. So they are now going to be focus, focusing more on Edin Dzeko, trying to bring him to Juventus and not Luis Suarez because of citizenship issues which is out of their control. So, yeah, I guess that's why Luis Suarez won't be partnering Ronaldo and calling Ronaldo the best in the world now this time because, you know, when you're playing with Messi, you always call Messi the best in the world. It was going to be weird now because in interviews now, he has to say that uh, Ronaldo is the best in the world. 
quite a silly rivalry that one yeah that is and uh, also other news in the Syria is Inter Milan are going to be signing Arturo Vidal and I have to say this now and I hope I, I never have to say it but this is a silly silly signing from Inter Milan this is a stupid signing from Inter Milan this is just trying to please Antonio Conte for absolutely no reason this is what I call stupid signing they don't need a Turo Vidal. They don't need a 34-year-old who's past his prime, who's just going to come there, run around, and not produce any quality. That's what I call a Turo Vidal at this moment in time. He was a great player, he used to be a great player, but he's not that anymore. He's not good anymore. They don't need him. A Turo Vidal would be very, very lucky to start at a team like Hetafe. That's what I'm saying. I don't think you'd start at a team like Hetafe. And now Inter Milan are spending, okay, not, not a lot of money. It's only 900,000 pounds to bring him in. But he's going to be taking space for a talented youngster in the team. Maybe he's going to take Barella's place. Maybe he's going to take Stefano Sensi's place. Maybe he's going to take, uh, for hell, Brozovic is better than Arturo Vidal. I'll say this now. I'll say this now. And there have been rumors that they had a chance of saying Tonali before Tonali said no to them so that now they're going for Arturo Vidal. Even if Tonali says no to Inter Milan, going for Arturo Vidal is still the worst move you can make. There are still other players out there. And that's why sometimes I don't understand Conte. You go, you're, you're going to see him start Arturo Vidal at the expense of someone like Christian Eriksen. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Arturo Vidal should be playing in the Brazilian Serie A now, not the Italian Serie A. Let me just be open and brutal and honest about it right now. Arturo Vidal doesn't deserve to be playing in the top five leagues anymore. But this is an idiotic signing by Inter Milan, which might be a reason why they don't win the Serie A this year, because how can you sign this old Madala here? Arturo Vidal, who's past his prime, who's they couldn't wait to get rid of him at Barcelona. And Barcelona is a club where they hold old people and just say old people come. But they're getting rid of him and still buy him. Yes. Ah, this is a bad, bad football transfer by Inter Milan. Now I'm going to talk a little bit about the Bundesliga as a whole and think maybe about three or four minutes. I don't want to spend a little time, a lot of time. I think this is going to be the, the last question I answer. The question is, can Dortmund or Leipzig shock or just out of nowhere win this title? I will say again, let me just be boring and plain and simple. Dortmund and Leipzig do not have a chance of stopping Bayern Munich this season. The Bundesliga has already won. They beat Schalke. Okay, of course, the poorest Schalke team in decades. They beat them 8-0 opening night. And I think we should crown Bayern Munich the Bundesliga champions already because this is over. There are going to be a lot of boring leagues this year. I will say this, La Liga is going to be boring because we already know the winners. Bundesliga is going to be boring because we already know the winners. And Liga is going to be boring 
because we already know that PSG are going to retain it as well. So the only leagues that are worth watching this year are going to be the Serie A and the Premier League. Because maybe, maybe City might have a chance. I don't know. Maybe. But Dortmund and Leipzig, sorry to say this, Dortmund fans, Leipzig fans, you don't stand a chance of stopping this Bayern Munich team. Now that they've added Leroy Sane, oh my, he's going to tear that Bundesliga to pieces. He might actually get 20 goals, Leroy Sane, who's not a prolific scorer. I might add, he's never been prolific at scoring. It's never been his, his, his job description, but he can get 20 goals in this team, in this league. That's it, I've talked about the Bundesliga now. So you can say that I don't like other leagues. So the last question is going to be about, uh, the last topic is going to be about La Liga. Real Madrid started uh, versus Real Sociedad with a draw. I have to say they were very, very toothless in attack. They were very, very poor. I think this is a league that's going to be won by the least poor team between the three teams. I still think it's going to be Real Madrid. I still think that Benzema is going to give them the goals that they need. Thibaut Courtois and the defense are going to keep out the goals that they need to keep out and they're still just going to win the league. Barcelona will not be able to challenge them. I'd be very, very surprised if Kumen makes it to January with his team. And Atletico Madrid, the less we talk about them, the better. That's all I can say about the La Liga. Nothing much more. I'm sorry. So yeah, that was the last topic. And yeah, this week I was flying solo, but I said, you know, as I said, check, out, check, check us out next week. I'm going to be joined by the normal cast again. You know, they were a bit busy, so I had to address one or two questions on this show for this week so that, you know, you guys don't miss, miss us this week. You know, I, I just wanted to make sure that you don't miss us too much. So I had to give you something. So I had to answer a few questions. And I hope that you like my answers to the questions. And I hope that you just keep engaging us in the comment section and we just keep talking to you. Thank you for watching at the TNN show. We'll be back again next week with more and more interesting news on sport. Thank you for watching.